In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Not much has changed since the days of the split kingdoms of Israel and Judah. The scene and the setting have changed, but the essentials have not. The human heart remains just as fickle and treacherous as it has ever proved to be, and the world appears just as deceptively enticing to the untrained eye. And of course, most notably, we as people are still just as willing to follow our own passions and desires to their own ends, whatever the cost to others or to ourselves. The two kingdoms knew the one true God. They had access to his law and commandments. They had passed down stories of his faithfulness to his people from generation to generation. They had seen his hand at work for the benefit of them, for their benefit, and yet they had, bit by bit, chosen to step out on and step away from the Lord. The people of Israel did keep practicing the right forms of worship. They observed the holy days, they offered the required sacrifices, but their hearts were not in it. Their hearts were full of selfish passions and greed of all sorts. They continued to worship, but they did so out of a sense of obligation, um, maybe out of a sense of maintaining cultural tradition, or worse, allowing their worship of the Lord to become a matter of superstitious practices and rituals that were meant to appease and manipulate God into serving their needs and desires in the exact ways that they demanded it. The people of Israel and Judah may have been able to maintain this hypocritical lifestyle or even delude themselves that they were believing um, and that they were still living as his people on earth. But then, as of now, you cannot fool God. He knew what truly ruled in their hearts and minds. He saw their selfishness, indifference, and pride marred the earthly example of his goodness and love until God's people on earth were nearly indistinguishable from anyone else. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. Amos 5.12. They had forgotten who he was and who they were called to be. And this is where the prophets come in. Amos was a Judean shepherd, and he was sent to rebuke Israel. And he did not mince words. Our passages today speak of the day of the Lord, that great and terrible day where God will at last come and judge and set all matters to right. We'll look into this more in a moment, but listen to some of the words that Amos gave to the people on God's behalf just before we enter into this passage today. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. 
goes on. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. And more. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil. Love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Perhaps. Harsh words with little comfort. Israel believed that the day of the Lord would be their vindication, but they had long since strayed from God's intended way of life. Thomas McCominsky, and I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong, <laughs> puts it this way. The social concern inherent in the very structure of the law was forgotten. God's will ignored. This is what spurred Amos to action. The circumstantial victims of Israel's hard hearts cried out for justice, and the Lord heard them. The victims' cries registered as a witness to the sin that had become so palatable and rampant among those who also had no problem claiming that they were God's people. It is a stunning lack of self-reflection and insight on display in Amos' time. And yet, we as a society are no better. You don't have to look far to see those exact sins on display today. Look at the practiced indifference our culture has toward the poor, the mentally ill, the physically disabled, refugees, the homeless, the elderly, those struggling with addictions, people otherwise marginalized or in need in some way in our society. Look at those that we perceive as being in our way. Look at the staggering reports of physical and mental abuse, theft, violence, even murder that we read about each day in the news and has become so normative that we cannot hope to grieve for all of them. And let's not forget that the church's reputation has been so recently tainted with scandal and sin that I honestly could not pick which particular example to include for this sermon. We are a cruel and selfish society where evil has had plenty of room to flourish. We in the church, guilty of these sins, have no excuse. For we have been given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to teach us, and to empower us to die to self. Just as disheartening are the ways in which we simply opt out of authentically following Jesus because it's just too much effort. It's hard to stop what we are doing and do even the smallest thing for someone else. We are confronted by these massive systemic problems and we become overwhelmed. It's so much easier to say, that's not my problem. I didn't cause this or I'm not hurting anybody. Too often, we end up doing nothing at all. It boils down to this. We may be God's chosen people, but we are in no less need of God's mercy and grace than the worst of the worst around us. This recognition of the truth is what's missing in Israel, and it's missing in our society today. 
It's the recognition that we desperately need God that David in Psalm 70 so clearly writes for us. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Um, this first verse is often used as an opening for prayer. Um, very, very frequently in the liturgy. So much so that Martin Luther actually said, and I'm quoting here, it would be good if we meant it as often as we prayed it. <laughs> right? Yeah. David cries out, petitions, begs for deliverance in this psalm with his typical humility and brevity. And he pleads for God to bring a bit of his on earth as it is in heaven to earth now. Keep in mind that the man who was writing this psalm was God's chosen king. It's he who is suffering, he who is at another's mercy. Is anyone safe from suffering? Not in this world. David was by no means perfect, but think about how different his mindset is than those of his descendants in Israel who seemingly forgot that they needed God and that they were meant to be his agents of mercy in this broken world, meant to be ready to serve their master, doing thankless acts for the least of these in their day and age. So are we. This is how we are supposed to live out our lives in faithfulness to the God who loves us beyond all measure, by keeping our eyes and ears open by letting our hearts be broken by the cruelty of the world around us. We are called to share the gospel in word, in deed, and to encourage one another in doing so until either one of two things happen. We die or the day of the Lord arrives. And we don't know when either day is coming. So this brings us back to the main point of today's lessons that we hear, the day of the Lord. St. Matthew records Jesus using the parable of ten virgins to show us how important it is to be ready to do whatever he calls us to do whenever the moment arrives. We hear of the ten virgins who, while waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, all fall asleep. They aren't judged for that, thank God. <laughs> but when they wake up, only half are ready. Why are only half ready? Well, half brought lamps and oil. The other half just brought a lamp. Like Cinderella having no appropriate gown to wear when the carriage arrives, these ladies are out of luck. But unlike Cinderella, who arrives late to the ball and has this fairy tale ending, the virgins without oil would gain no entrance here. So what's the point? The point is this. The day of the Lord is indeed coming. Jesus will come again. Judgment is coming for all people, both those alive on that last day and all those who have fallen asleep, as we heard in our first Thessalonians passage. Judgment must come before all things can be set right, and all people from all times will be bending their knee in praise to their maker. In some ways, the people of Israel were right. The day of the Lord will be our vindication. But on that day, too, all our sins will be laid bare and will be dealt with. This is inescapable. There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to hide. So do your best to live your life cultivating mercy and love for one another. 
bring injustices to light and seek to set wrongs right. Hate evil, do good. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Like the offertory that we're about to hear, keep your lamps trimmed and burning. The time is drawing nigh. The day of the Lord is coming where he will come in judgment and he will draw us near. Let us live so that we are not afraid of this reality, but instead eagerly work towards ushering in God's everlasting kingdom on earth. Be ready. The day of the Lord is coming. Amen. <laughs>